Hey everyone, great to have you for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. We're spending the month of September talking about the theme of end times. So I'm going to be getting a, a bunch of different guests uh, kind of approaching the end times from a bunch of different angles. So my prayer is this will be something that will edify you, strengthen you, stir you up, just to understand in these uncertain times that the uh, that God is moving with accuracy and uh, with clarity. So just to tune into that. So very happy to have Pastor John Sabo with us today. He is uh, an amazing husband, teacher, author of a few books, as well as a pastor. So and he's a dear friend of mine as well. And I'm been asking him, just trying to squeeze him in on this podcast for some time, so I'm very excited to have him today. And he's going to talk with us uh, on the end times. So please stick around. Pastor John, great to have you today. Thank you so much, Pastor Jason. This is awesome. I'm so excited to be part of this finally. Um, Yeah, end times uh, often conjures up visions of crazy things happening in the future and of course, we do know there will be a final purging before Christ sets up his kingdom, but we have some indications of the end times. It talks about people's heart going cold, about faith diminishing, about natural affections um, going, going cold also. These are different thoughts that we have in the Bible as humanity kind of cascades towards that final encounter. And... Psalm 2 tells us to kiss the Son, lest God be angry. And it is all about Jesus Christ. It is all about what he's done. And at some point, God's going to be tired of people dissing what his Son did. And that time is growing closer and closer. And as people's hearts grow cold, they cease to think about God. They cease to think about God as their source, as their provider. They cease to realize that God is the one that's going to solve their needs. He's going to be their provision. He's the one that also is going to provide ultimate justice. And so as we go towards those days, we see those signs happening. We see natural affections disappearing. And it's not all just cultural. And it reminds me of Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, chapter 5, describes two types of people. And it's always nice to start something out by saying, there's two types of people in the world, right? So (laughs) we have here, we have person type number one, verse 5. The Lord says this, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And this lets us know that when a person or a family or a community or a nation decides, I'm going to put all my trust and reliance on political systems, I'm going to put my reliance on on my business, I'm going to put everything I have to trust, my, my, my comfort, my confidence, my security is going to come in some sort of man-made system. And it's convenient in America because we've had lots of very successful man-made systems. But these systems, and the Bible tells us anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And we've seen a lot of things shaken. We've seen people's beloved sports shaken. We've seen politics shaken. We're seeing people who 
we're not trusting in God, but we're trusting in man-made systems, now are desperate. And it says here, when we trust in mere flesh, what that means is we trust in human ingenuity, human scheming, trying to come up with, you know, scrambling to make things work when systems start falling apart. When that person who has not been trusting in the Lord, it says that person will be like, like wild bu- a wild bush, brush in the wasteland, in the desert. And here's the curse. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will not see blessings when they're there. It's bad enough to not be blessed, but it's really sad to have blessings sitting right next to you, but you can't see them. They're invisible to you because your attitude is wrong. Your focus is wrong. It, It brings to mind people who are bitter. If you have a root of bitterness in your heart towards somebody or towards a group of people, or you have an issue in your life where you have unresolved anger, you're not allowing the Lord to cover that anger, you're not trusting God for ultimate justice, which it's a horrifying thought. We are made in the image of God. We have a sense of justice. We want guilty people to pay, and that's godly. But when we don't believe that God's going to do that ultimately, we have people now running the streets who feel it's their job to do that in the place of God. God says, vengeance is mine. So when we have a situation where people are not seeing the blessings because they have a bitter or unforgiving attitude, they get desperate, they panic. And it says here, they will not see the blessings when it comes. They will not see prosperity. They will not see the answers to prayers. They're, you know, even a saved person who tries to find his life outside of Christ is going to be you know, I don't want to say they're denied God's blessings, but God can have a basket for you, holding them out to you. But if you don't see the basket, it's as good as not having them. Mm. This is a very horrific situation to find oneself in. It says, continuing on in verse 6, They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in the salt land, where no one lives. So this is a curse because the attitude's wrong. And as a result of this, you feel alone, you're parched, there's no water, you're trying to survive and thrive, and there's blessings all around you, but you can't see them. This is not the person we want to be. We want to be the other type of person. We move on to verse 7. Person number 2. The blessed person is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in Him. What this means is that I work with people, I enjoy, you know, whatever blessings, provisions God has, but I always know where the provision comes from. And that provision is always from God. In other words, if I get a new job, it came from God. It's not because I'm brilliant. And if I am brilliant, that came from God too. If I have any skills, talents, abilities, I have nothing I've not received. So we never want to fall into the trap of thinking we've accomplished something. Because even, you know, someone who does a great job, you know, an athlete, where'd those muscles come from? Where'd the oxygen come from? Everything comes from God. So we always keep God as our source in our minds. And when we do that, our confidence is in Him. Bad things happen, things start shaking, and guess what? Oh, well, God let it happen. He's got a good plan, and I'm in the middle of it. I'm on the adventure ride. I'm along for the ride. 
And it says, this is what the blessed one will be, the one who has confidence in the Lord. Verse 8, will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream. So we have a picture here that the tree's next to the river and the roots are down and they get to the water. The water level's right there and they always have plenty of plant to drink. And that's a good place to be. But guess what? It goes on. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. The leaves are always green. So the cursed man doesn't see the blessing when it comes. And the blessed man doesn't see the fire when it comes. We walk around. The world calls us naive. And I'll show my age here, but I love Gilligan's Island. This very naive person walks through the jungle eating his banana. He doesn't see the volcano and the ninja and the samurai and the ape all trying to kill him as they swing past behind him. He just goes on his merry way. And as Christians, we live in confidence in Christ. It's not our job to fight the angelic warfare. It's not our job to fix society's ills. It's not our job to wage battle against flesh and blood. Our job is to reveal Christ to others and in so doing, show them the way of escape. Uh, you should take time out to read t Titus chapter 3. That is our instructions for reaching a pagan world. And it doesn't involve um, uprisings and overthrows and rebellions. It involves showing Christ. And we get that confidence and we get that joy and comfort because we don't see the heat when it comes. Someone tells you, did you hear that bad news? And you go, no. Or do you see what happened? And we, we're oblivious to a lot of things. But that is a godly obliviousness. I don't want to say oblivion. Obliviousness because we do have heat all around us. We don't see it. Why? Our leaves remain green. This is the rest of verse 8. Our leaves are always green. We have no worries in the year of drought. That means I'm a tree planted by the river, and everything's great, and then the river dries up. Do we care? No. The river dries up, and our roots are so deep, it always they always find water. God always provides living water for us. Remember the woman at the well. Christ said, when you drink from me, you never go thirsty again. And we have that confidence. And yeah, maybe it is very hot outside. And maybe the heat comes. Bad things happen. Um, but the same things happen to us as the unsaved world. But that is our testimony. We would not have a testimony if good things only happened to the, to the saved person. Our testimony is that, yes, I have the same Horrible things happen to me as happen to the unsaved. But they watch our response, and we respond with good. We, we attack evil with good. And the rest of that verse says, That man has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So how crazy is it that we can be a tree and all the rivers go dry, everything goes bad, and miraculously, supernaturally, we still bear fruit. We still are able to produce joy, the fruits of the Spirit. We also produce fruit in terms of um, outreach. We produce fruit in um, letting other people know about Christ. And the fun thing is, is that the darker the world gets, the brighter we shine. Mm. So as the world gets darker, the weakest Christian, 
the simplest Christian, the newest Christian, will have amazing light and will have a message for the world. And the world will gravitate towards that person because they're seeing someone that's not being shaken. And you know what? You should be shaken. The world looks at you and says, there's no way you can sanely stand there and not be shaken. And we go, well, my sanity doesn't come from the world. My sanity comes from the rivers of living water that Christ provides me. And it's an eternal source. This world is temporal. This universe is temporal. And the only way to survive in it is to, to overcome it is to have an eternal source. And that is why Jesus Christ said, I have overcome the world. So um, <clears throat> I think as we encounter more and more indications of a world gone crazy, which are indications of things leading up to the end times, we are always reminded to place ourselves in the hand of Christ in the confidence that he offers in his eternal source. And ultimately, the final eternal source is eternal love. We must always be grounded in his love. And let's face it, if we have a God that is perfect love and all-powerful, whom shall I fear? Mm. If God was all-powerful but not all-loving, we'd have definite reason to be afraid. If God was all-loving but not all-powerful, we'd have reason to be nervous. But he is both. He is our rock. He's our salvation. He's the author of our faith. And he's the one that has promised to take us to the other side. So our citizenship is in heaven. And that is where our life is as well. And we've already been seated there. We're just waiting for our bodies to catch up. Amen. That's awesome, Pastor John. Man, I, I love the conviction and the just the confidence that you were sharing today. I love the uh, these contrasts here in Jeremiah 17, the cursed man and the blessed man. And it also, there's another contrast in Psalm 1 that talks about the blessed man. He that delights in the law of the Lord will be blessed in all that he does. Uh, but you know, I was thinking too, uh, just the hedge that's around the Christian in Job 1.10. And I don't know if you could speak about that, but the believer... Uh, in Jeremiah 17, they don't see the heat when he comes, right? Mm -hmm. Right. He is, he is um, just concentrated on the things of God. He is focused on the promises of God. And God gives him divine wisdom and divine direction. And uh, But you want to talk a little bit about, about that hedge where sure. God literally encamps his angels around those that fear him in Psalm 37. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to be in trouble, in the fire, uh, have evil people around us. But I think of Psalm 91, they will come near, but they will not touch us. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Um, this idea of a hedge around Job was something that Satan was very, very well aware of. He knew it was there. We see the same idea in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We have that. And they know, and you know, demons, they know we're saved. They see that seal there. We also see that in Revelation where um, the demons are, are not allowed to touch anyone who has the seal of God, the seal of righteousness on their foreheads. And this seal is, reminds me of in just Psalm 23. He prepares a table before, with, he prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. This is our place of refuge. 
And I always picture I'm in the middle of a World War I battlefield. And I'm in be out between the trenches and there's bombs and gas, everything flying all overhead. And I'm in the middle of it. And I am seated with Jesus Christ at this table and we're having dinner. Now, that doesn't mean I can't see what's going on around me. And doesn't mean I am not uh, affected by it. What it means is that I have a confidence in the midst of it. Mm. All of these things surround me and reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress when he goes to approach a door, forget which part, part, but he has these nasty snarling dogs threatening to attack him. And he's afraid to go down the path. And as he goes down the path, these dogs finally come out and they tear at him, lunging at him, huge jaws going crazy. And as they get ready to jump on him, they hit the end of their chains. They're yanked back to the ground because the chains do not allow them to actually cover, to encroach upon Christian's path. And this is something that we have to understand is that Satan is completely defeated. Hmm. He has nothing with which he can actually touch the Christian. But he can sit in the background and make projections. He can whisper nasty things in our ears. He can make ugly, mean faces at us. But when we ignore that, we resist the devil, he flees. The wiles of the devil are just something, they're, they're that, they're wiles, they're deceptions, they're lies. So as Christians, the more doctrine we have in us, the more we can resist Satan because when he lies to us, we laugh. We're not upset. We're not horrified by what happens. We have a horrible, imagine some horrific thought comes into your brain and it can only happen because we're completely and totally debased and fallen and, you know, corrupt. And that comes into our head and we just laugh. What do you expect? That's, that's, my, that's my fallen nature. And Satan's a liar. And we can't be, we can't be condemned by it because that's who our fallen man is. Mm. But that hedge around us is God's word. That hedge is the confidence that we have that Satan cannot touch us. Like I said, he can lie to us. He can make funny faces at us. But he has no authority, no control. And we just cannot respond to him in any way if we are responding in in the spirit. Mm. I think that's really important because um, we look around and see the chaos and it affects us in this sense, like, okay, God, um, you know, what's going to happen next? But I really think with the Bible and hearing the Word of God that it really is the navigator for us because we have a wall of fire around us in Zechariah chapter 4. There's a, uh, a hedge. There is a, uh, each one, each believer has guardian angels. So really, this is the time to... Uh, be advancing, be intentional, be very prayerful, and to walk in the authority that God has given as the blessed man. Many happiness is the man that delights in the law of God. And I'm encouraged with you today just just thinking about these things that, that honestly our perspective is that, you know, we are not going to... Um, you know, just take on the spirit of the world. We're not going to, it's easy to do. It's easy to get anxious and fearful. But in the last days, uh, there is persecution. There, in Matthew 24, uh, we, see, uh, we see that picture. 
and um, in the tribulation. Now, the church doesn't go through the tribulation, but we do experience some preludes to it at the time of sorrows, which I believe we've been in since uh, 9-11, since the Twin Towers but uh, falling. But, but maybe you want to talk about that, that there's that persecution. And what's our attitude in persecution? Well, the first century church knew persecution. That was when Satan was trying to crush Christianity from even growing, trying to resist the spread of Christendom. And he did so by introducing thousands of crazy cults to try to water it down. And the persecution there was relentless because he did not want grace to get a foothold. So what we see at the end of the church age is going to be similar persecution. Persecution has happened in pockets around the world ever since the church has been around. But um, this is when Satan is trying to build his one world system and one world government, and we're going to see persecution on a global scale, just like we've had persecution in isolated places throughout history. But our attitude towards persecution in the early church counted it joy. Now, that takes a big stretch for us to be able to use our biblical worldview to turn agony into joy. But they considered it, it was a mark of worthiness. God has counted me worthy to suffer. And I don't think anyone's going to say I enjoy pain. I don't enjoy being burned at the stake. I don't enjoy any of that stuff. But what we can do is I can get joy watching Satan get mad. Mm. And that just might be my own perverse way of looking at things. But sometimes when, when we realize that we've really ticked Satan off, we've really put some damage in his kingdom. Remember, we're taking back what belongs to God. The tribulation period is no different than God purging out the squatters that don't belong on his planet. Okay? Those that dwell in the earth is the phrase in Revelation. Those and it's contrasted with those whose citizenship is in heaven. The second someone gets saved in the tribulation period, they cease being an inhabitant of the earth, even though they may still live on the earth. And that's what we are. We are citizens of heaven. We are not inhabitants of the earth. So our citizenship in heaven gives us a perspective that allows us to handle persecution. I'm always amused by uh, your James Bond type of secret agent who can put up with all sorts of torture and tribulation and stuff. And the reason he can do it is because he has a bigger picture. His bigger picture is for queen and country. <laughs> and that's nothing compared to our bigger picture. Our bigger picture is, is millions of souls receiving Christ. Our bigger picture is eternity in heaven. And there's nothing can happen to us that can anywhere near compare to the glories that Christ has set before us. So I can put up with a few inconveniences. I can put up with a few upset people. And I can put up with, a, you know, <clears throat> certain situations that are not, you know, pleasing to my comfort and my flesh for the glory of God. Mm. So our attitude, let's face it, God gives people the grace they need when it comes time to go through things. So when, if something really bad is going to happen, we have a persecution that comes up that does start to match our first century Christians or some of the um, stuff happening in the, the, I can't think of it now, you know, Middle Ages, things that happened to the church then. Um, God provides the grace for that at the time. So it's not our place to worry about that. 
It's our place to enjoy watching Christ's kingdom grow in spite of evil. So. Oh, that's a big statement. That's a big statement. I think, you know, uh, Jeremiah talks about flourishing, you know, and, you know, you look at the first century Christians in persecution, the church was mobilized, the church was tried, and uh, definition and preciseness was added, uh, missionaries went out. And I just think today, you know, the church could be looked at in a couple different ways. You know, the church could look, be looked at like a cruise ship, <laughs> people on a, on a nice cruise relaxing. I, I, believe, <laughs> I believe it's uh, not possible today to be a casual Christian in this sense, um, but the church can also be looked at as a battleship, you know, armed to the teeth to defend and to take back territory. It could be looked at as an aircraft carrier uh, where it moves around and sets off jets and launches out to uh, be the furtherance for the gospel, or even a speedboat. You know, I think the church is becoming smaller and more, um, you know, able to get into these hard-to-reach areas, if we could say. And so I think through persecution, the flourishing will take on a lot of different uh, edges, and I think the average Christian that walks with God will go deeper. The one that's not walking with God will fall away. And like we're seeing now, and we'll see in a greater way, the great fallout or the great delusion. Um, but I love what you're saying. It's like we don't have to worry about that or be anxious about these things, but we are moving with God with a hedge and flourishing uh, do you want to comment on that? Just the flourishing. How does I just Christian to, flourish? Yeah, I, I just um. Well, the church has always grown during persecution. Persecution causes the church to grow. The good news would have been stuck in Jerusalem if persecution hadn't broken out. <clears throat> persecution brings the gospel to places it never comes before. Um, <clears throat> I know you're talking. You're talking about personal flourishing, though. And I think the personal flourishing is realizing what's important in your life. Who's important in your life? Mm -hmm. We were created by God for fellowship, and that's never changed. Fellowship with God, getting to know God, is the number one purpose for our life, to be conformed to his image, and getting to know God is his goal for us as well, because we are happiest when we are in communion with our creator. His desire for us is to know him because it benefits us. So persecution can drive us into fellowship. And no one has ever said, the fellowship I've gained with Christ was not worth the, the persecution, was not worth the trial. No one has ever said that. Everyone always comes out of the trial saying, I got to know a part of God that I never knew before. And in fact, I got to know a part of God that no one who has not gone through what I went through will ever know. Hmm. And that, of course, is what gives us the ability to have compassion, empathy, and, and counseling later on. But God is infinite. And every time you get a chance to learn another part about him, you want to you take advantage of that. And many times the portion you get is something that relates to his suffering. I remember a great lesson I learned many years ago when I was attacked on a job for something that I didn't do, and I swore I was not going to defend myself. I even told the, my supervisor, defending myself is not in my job, not in my job description. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to do it. 
I'll let God do it. And I remembered the joy I had as things got worse when I said, Jesus was accused of something he didn't do either. So that maybe sounds simplistic, but anytime you can identify with Christ in a situation, it gives you joy. Hmm. It's, 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 it's kind of exhilarating. Oh, now I know what Christ felt like in this situation. And that brings us closer to God. And that brings us closer to the, the love that is shared within the Trinity. Hmm. You know, you, you know, none of us are praying for persecution, but the fruit of it, how does it go? The blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church, right? There's that, that uh, Watchman Nee would say that. But, but really, we're preparing now with um, just being Bible believers, intentional in our faith, prayed up, worded up, and uh, knowing that we're going to flourish. God's going to take care of of his people, not one righteous man will beg for bread, right? God knows who those who are his and will have wisdom to move and advance and to have him fight our battles. And maybe Pastor John will close with this is that, you know, if I'm fighting my battles, then the Lord's not fighting my battles. But if we're resting in him, he will fight for us as we abide in him. And any cl- any closing comments that you want to say? It's just been great having you today. Uh, yeah, just obviously the battle is the Lord's, and that goes back to what we just talked about in Jeremiah. If I'm going to trust someone else or trust myself to fight my battles, um, it's, it's going to fail. It's doomed to fail, and it's a good thing it fails. It turns us to God. But I did want to mention one last thing about the big picture. As we go through trials and persecutions and growth, we are being trained Let's not get the idea that I'm getting prepared for heaven, although that's true. I'm being trained to reign in the millennial reign with Jesus Christ. Mm. I am putting content in my soul that I will be called upon to use as I judge and facilitate and be a godly government for the people on the earth during that time. And as I appropriate more and more of what God's heart and God's thoughts and, you know, heaven's culture into my thinking, the more I'll be entrusted with during that time. The less I'll have to send situations up the ladder to an appeals court. I will be representing Christ in a godly, um, glorified system where my sin nature is no longer there. But I will still be relying on the content that God poured into me as I responded with his nature and his grace to situations in my life here now. Wow, amazing. In future podcasts, we're going to talk about the tribulation. We're going to talk about the millennial reign, the white throne. These are some topics that we're going to cover in the month of September. And I just thought of this verse as we close that um, no weapon formed against them will prosper. It may be formed. We may see it, but it will not prosper. It will not overcome you. So, Pastor John, thank you so much for being with us thank today. You. I look forward to having you on future casts. And God bless you, those that are listening. Okay, thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Your feedback is always welcome.